When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question. You want to talk about the only team in the ACC changing coaches this year? Yes, let's do it. Uh, We're bringing on James Coleman, uh, former Florida State player and, of course, a writer now at Gridiron Now. James, what's going on, man? Not much. Just enjoying life. It's hot. Ready? I'm glad football season is right around the corner. Yeah, it means that weather is about to turn. Uh, James, appreciate you joining us. For those who don't know, James played at Florida State under Bobby Bowden back in the early 2000s. Um, we always value having guys, you know, who actually played the game on with us. Um, James, do you have like a, a particular moment from your career that you that sticks out to you that you know you really value or, or cherish? Um, I mean, all of them. I mean, I was a fullback, so I hit people, but I was a scoring. I guess with, at the time they would consider more of a running fullback, so. I scored touchdowns and got a lot of short yardage carries. Um, um, like the most crazy one I did was um, in the the oh, I guess the oh five Gator Bowl because it was January first. Um, kind of jumped over a pile. Um, I got stopped and then I stepped back and jumped over the pile. It was pretty. I still that was pretty crazy. I couldn't. But when I landed, I couldn't believe I had just done that. Um, but the oh five Miami game. Um, we broke the streak of um, wins. We had a lot of battles, a lot of close games. Um, that I mean, Doke was like bananas. Like, like these guys, these young guys, they got a taste of it, I guess, with 13 and 14, you know, when they were winning. But, like, I was the bottom end of the dynasty era. So, like, like it didn't matter what was happening. Like, Doke was always full 12 o'clock game. Like, I, I guess 12 o'clock games suck now, but, like, then – 12 o'clock games was still prime time. So like just to go in there, just to run out there, see the and then we jumped on logos and fought and did a lot of cool shit. Um <laughs> that's kind of illegal now, but um it was like, you know, those are iconic moments. Like um we call ourselves Doke Boys now. Um Jimbo kind of changed a little bit of that, um, did it his own way. Um, hopefully Ta- Tagger seems to be embracing the old ways as well as creating his new ones and um, we got a new little, new little thing going. So it's a lot of fans excited and a lot of rivals and haters that are mad because we happy with life, which I, I really don't understand that. I had a feeling that senior year win over Miami was going to come up somewhere in there. Um, we're going to get to Willie Taggart here in just a minute. But, James, we wanted to start out, I, I think, maybe the most strangely coming through a coaching search. I, I feel like maybe the most pressing uh, issue or, or topic as it relates to Florida State this year is a quarterback controversy of sorts. Going into last year, DeAndre Francois was coming off a huge freshman year, uh, took the team to the Orange Bowl, looked good. And he, I mean, he took a beating all year and and played all through it and, and was really impressive, I thought, as a freshman. Comes back last year, I think it was late in the third quarter or early fourth quarter against Alabama. He gets tackled, blows out his knee, and his season's over. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and in comes James Blackman, plays quarterback throughout the year. You kind of saw some improvements. Um, but I think that we didn't really see anything from Blackman, at least on my end, that made me think that he was really going to threaten to hold the quarterback job once Francois got healthy again. I, I kind of looked at everything you know that you would look for in a quarterback between arm talent, mobility, decision-making, any of it, and I felt like Francois was a better version of Blackman. And then about a month ago, I saw odds on the quarterback situation, and Blackman's listed as the favorite. And I'm curious to hear your side of this on if, if that's accurate. Is, is Blackman the favorite to, to start this year under Willie Taggart? Or is this, again, still DeAndre Francois' job to lose? Um, based on the things that I've heard um, from my sources and the things you read, it's probably more – it's going to probably be Frenchy. But um, I there's things that Francois does well. Um, there are things that Blackman does well. I believe Blackman has a bigger arm. Um, if you were going to try to uh, keep a defense honest and with the athletic wide receivers that you're going to run in, in Tigers Golf Coast offense, you've got to have the ability to be able to throw the deep ball and it's got to be on a rope. And that's what Blackman is able to do. Also, the difference between being a taller quarterback, um, the, the way the ball leaves and the way that the, and his ability to see over the line is a little bit different. Um, DeAndre Francois is about 6'1". Um, he's just barely able to see what you could do. And trust me, if you don't understand that and people don't think that that's, you know, video game culture will tell you that it's not that more difficult, but um, having been in a shotgun situation and you're trying to look over six, seven offensive linemen to dictate where a linebacker is coming from. And if a corner is blitzing from a fullback, from a running back position, is difficult enough. I can only imagine what a guy who's in the middle and has to be able to see the entire defense when he has to see. So there's some things like that. But from an athletic athleticism position, um, the short to intermediate throws, I believe Francois does a good job. Um, to go back to his season, we have to add a little bit to um, DeAndre Francois. I'm not DeAndre Francois. A, a, a sort of asterisk. Um, and not a bad thing, but he had a once-in-a-lifetime running back, an iconic running back in his prime in Dalvin Cook. One guy who I believe we did not give the ball enough. Like, I believe FSU beats – well, one, FSU beats Clemson that year if it's not, a, not for a bullshit call on Freddie Stevenson, which was which there's no way a one person can high-low block somebody. A high-low block, in essence, is one person blocking you high and another person cut blocking you. So a fullback engaging and then running his feet and then cut blocking somebody is totally legal or it has been legal for decades. And if that's the way the football game is going, then let's play flag football. But um, then you look at um, a couple of other games, just like uh, just not giving the running back the ball in key situations, and whether it be handing it or throwing it to him. DeAndre struggled throwing check down routes. Like to me, when the ball, like you saw, like go back, look at it, grounding, swing routes, not getting the ball to DeAndre in a proper manner. Those are some of the things that he struggled. But he was also still red shirt, but a, still a freshman. You could see the progress. You could see a lot of the things going. But you also saw Jimbo put a ton of pressure on him to win games. Go back, look at the Michigan game. We're blowing Michigan out, running the ball. Then all of a sudden, we decide we want to throw the ball. And um, I, I counted one time we threw the ball 15 straight times without a running play, and we went, we kept going four and out or three and out, which gave Michigan the opportunity to start coming back. And you got to look at, you got to know your team. 
fast forward to um, this 2017 season, um, James Blackman did not lose six games. Now, he was a part of six games losses, but let's just take out three games. So Bama, Bama beat us um, defensively and on special teams. They kicked our butt in special teams, and that's how we lost that game. Now, let's go look at Boston College. That's when I realized Jimbo lost his team. I ain't got no. I, I ain't got nothing for you. That they they kicked our ass. Um, and Clemson, I can explain some of that stuff, but Clemson beat us sound enough to where you don't need to go back and and explain it. Louisville, instead of running a zone read, you run traditional I formation, run the ball. You don't fumble it. They don't go down and score. Miami, Tavares McFadden, who is a pro, you expect a pro prospect to make a play. But we saw Tavares McFadden was, um, you know, I'm not going to talk too bad about the young man, but you guys watch the tape. Um, and then we've got um, North Carolina State when his first game, you throw, you, you run 46 pass plays um, with a true freshman quarterback who's never had one reps. Like that's just asking for a disaster with the guy like Nick Chubb, who we all got to see. So when I look at both of them, like everybody brings up DeAndre's record. But there's con it's everything is context. There's always context context to these numbers. Like DeAndre Francois is, has the same record as um I can't think of the quarterback from the University of Miami had, but would you legitimately would a Miami fan who bashes their quarterback legitimately put him up against DeAndre Francois? You would say the record, but when you look at it, there are differences. The other concept that you didn't bring up that I, I don't know. I think it's media. I think it's savviness um, to keep players motivated. And and it's also um, the media's job to get clicks. But there's a Hockman hive. People are really bringing up Bailey Hockman. And he actually did look good the first day. Um, but we're in shorts. I'm not a guy who's going to report about shorts because I can summarize every article that's been written by FSU beat writers. Probably you guys at schools, too. Elite athletes look elite in shorts doing cone drills like you should look good in shorts doing cone drills if you're an elite athlete but like when the pads come out things change and i want to see what happens with deandre francois when you're getting pressure obviously they're not going to hit him but is he able to move is the knee bothering him what's going on with that james blackman are you making better more sound decisions and then the other side of it is florida state needs an elite wide receiver we just have not had that if we don't have it, it doesn't matter if Jameis comes back. We will struggle. So to in order to be a good passing offense, you have to have somebody step up. And that would be obviously Tamara and Terry, I believe, would be the number one wide receiver. But you got to have Nyquan Murray. Nyquan Murray has got to be who we have thought he is, preferably playing like a Rashad Green type role. DJ Matthews has got to do something. And um, from what I'm understanding, Trishon Harrison is doing a very good job as a true freshman. And I want to see Jordan Young. I'm a big fan of Abusement Park. So I'm hoping he adjusts better to practices and do, does his thing. There was a lot there. Number one, if Joey and I had a dollar for every time that we said Dalvin Cook should get more carries in the first – I mean, we've been doing this podcast now going on three years. If we had a dollar for every time we said in year one, why aren't they giving the ball to Dalvin Cook more? We'd have a lot of money, a lot of money. Um, we talked about that at length. Secondly, you mentioned the BC game last year. Joey and I came on the podcast previewing that game. We said there's no way. We don't care how much Florida State's struggling. There's no way they lose to Boston College on that Friday night. 
And so I'm down, I'm down in Blacksburg. I had one of the Virginia Tech games and I go out, I come back in, I check my phone. I hadn't been watching the game. I looked at the score and I couldn't believe that Florida State was getting blown out like that. And Joey, Joey was out too. I text Joey. I said, you're never going to believe this. Check the Florida State score. We couldn't believe it. Um, it, it was I think I said, I think my app is broken. Yeah, we could. We literally couldn't believe it. Um, so yeah, we were taken aback by that too. You were talking, James, a little bit about the wide receivers, and that's kind of what I want to get into next. So, like you mentioned, um, doesn't matter if Jameis comes back. Uh, you know, wide receivers need to emerge. Um, you know, Nyquan Murray taking on the Rashad Green role. I think that's a, I think that's a great comparison. There hasn't really been a Calvin Benjamin type wide receiver um, that that's emerged really since thirteen. Um, but there have been a lot of guys who have really contributed on the outside for Florida State. Now it's really just a bunch of young guys. Um, is Keith Gavin finally going to be healthy? George Campbell, I remember when he was recruited and it was such a big deal that he was coming to Florida State. How much playing time is he going to get? Um, there are a lot of young guys and guys who really just haven't gotten on the field. They're now veterans. I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, what you think will shape out to be, uh, you know, a solid wide receiver class for Florida State. What should we expect on the outside here this year um, for whoever the quarterback ends up being? Um, from, um, I think I, I think you should expect compact. One thing Coach Kelly does a really good job of is um is is teaching route concepts and things. So let's go back to Jimbo's offense, right? So Jimbo's offense is 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 a is an offense that's designed to always catch the defense sleeping. So no matter what coverage you run, the wide receivers should have a beater for it. So it's um like what I would call a tag concept. So to simplify it. Let's say we run the, the play is four verticals, but they're in a zone coverage. So zone coverage, you don't get beat. So four verticals technically should not run, should not work with that. So you would have um, maybe in the slot, you'll have a post concept and you would have on the outside, you would have a curl um, concept to where it backs the, 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 um, the, the defense up and you're able to get rid of the ball. So that's just a simple side of it. But, um, but the athletes are so much better at the collegiate level that you can make cover four look like man. So if I'm a wide receiver and I get confused and I think we're in man coverage, I'm going to run something that the quarterback may not necessarily believe we were running. Um, and that's kind of what I didn't necessarily believe in when I first heard about it with Jimbo. But I remember being on the sidelines for, again, Boston College in Dope Campbell, and I heard Jameis Winston cuss out Bobo Wilson for running a um, – he was supposed to run a dig route and he changed it to a drag. So Jameis throws the dig. So he's throwing it at 15 and Bobo runs a, a route at eight. So it looks like Jameis threw the ball directly to the safety. When if the wide receiver would have ran the proper route, he would have ran right into it and you would have made a good play. Now you're thinking like, yo, that's genius. You should do that. You should make smarter wide receivers. But the more football player has to think, the slower they are, which if you play slow, you play right into the defense hands. Well, this offense here is tag. They tag it, but it's different. It's multiple plays being ran at the same time for a lot of them. So you could see, uh, if, like, for example, if it's quick slants, every wide receiver is running quick slants. They're going to tag it with a run. So if the um, the first the first read is, let's say it's the zone read. So they're going to go with the zone read. If the linebackers don't respect the run and they keep the pass, well, you hand it off. The linebackers respect the run. They come up. You throw it with a linebacker vacated. If you've got 
um, Ray Lewis and in his prime and um, Brian Erlacher and all those guys back there, then you tag it with a quarterback with a quarterback run. So there's so many, there's three to four different things that you can do that makes the defense think, but the players are all doing one movement. So it's just designed to be fast. And the other thing of it is if it works, it's like Xbox. Get to the line, run the same damn play again. They can there's play, there's footage like like I was just talking on another podcast. If if I was Taggart, I'd be pissed because Taggart's entire offense. Is on Oregon's website, like Oregon Duck, whatever territory, whatever their media came up with the bright idea to put every play in because they were like they were bragging about the, the concerts. But like to me, I'm like I don't want everybody knowing my damn defense, my offense, and somebody breaking it down. But you can see times where Tiger ran the same play four or five times in a row, um, and I call it on a high school level. Once you find the duck, keep quacking it. <laughs> you know, so so that's kind of the difference between Jimbo's system and this. So, like, when I say that now, my bad, long-winded way to say, you've got Tamara Terry, a faster version of Auden Tate on paper. You've got DJ Matthews, who is um very shifty, um great with the zone read, great in space. I'm not zone read, excuse me. I'm jet sweep, great in space. you got Nyquan Murray, who, again, who should be your guy who can who's just accountable. But guys like Keith Gavin now, who is a 6'4", 230-pound wide receiver with some speed, if he can catch the damn ball, you would see him excelling this. So you've got the athletes, but I cover the – so I cover Florida State, but I also cover the Jaguars. And I'm in the same – it's like a nightmare situation. Like, like we've got a great running back. We've got this young, talented wide receiver core that nobody knows about, and you have don't know if they can do it. And you don't know what your quarterback like. You, you your quarterback could go out and throw for three, four thousand yards, but he could also throw for six um, pick sixes um, in during the first five, five games of the season. So it's all good. But I think they have the they have Jimbo did not leave a depleted team. It's all about can this team believe in Taggart? Can they execute a new offense? And can they do it in a timely manner? Because um, no, I mean, Vitek, even with I don't know what the hell is going on in Blacksburg, but they still have a talented team. Um, obviously, Sam, nobody's worried about Sanford, but that's that season has some 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 um some points where you're actually playing some very good ball clubs and it could go very well and you could get all the confidence in the world or you could see another um, um, seven and six or, you know, three and six team that's praying to win the rest of their games. So they didn't go to a bowl game. Uh, yeah, yeah, completely, completely agree. agree. Um, so yeah, I, it's I can't even get started on what's going on in Blacksburg. Um, <laughs> yeah, I gotta write an article about it eventually. But like y'all got, I, I know. there's two kids that I trained that I really like up there. Like I just can't like Chris Cunningham and and um Kyle Chung, and I'm like I want to talk trash but like i saw these kids grow up and i, I like them but like it's nothing personal but I, I i'm trying to figure out where the hell all their players are going yeah i declare chris cunningham on twitter all the time as my favorite player that doesn't get any love you know what i mean like chris cunningham does some really good things for tech and gets like no media attention at all and it drives me nuts um defensively florida state loses six of their top seven tacklers off of last year's team Levante Taylor's back, highlighting the group, obviously. 
what should we expect out of this Florida State defense? I mean, they're going to be athletes all over the field because it is Florida State, but it's going to be a pretty young defense overall, isn't it? Um, young in uh, in terms of what you saw in the depth chart, but you got to remember FSU, like a lot of programs, is a two deep, sometimes three deep um, depth chart. So you got guys like um, Brian Burns and Kendo who um, have, have sacks. Um, I, I think some of it is a, is a is addition through attrition. So uh, you lose Josh Sweat, but Josh Sweat hasn't really never lived up to the expectations that he was that he had here. Um, linebacker, we haven't had a dominant linebacker, so it's not like okay, we had some upperclassmen leave, and okay, we'll put some guys in there that we hope are a little bit better. But the secondary, we've always played young players in the secondary, and the difference is is um you've got Harlan Barnett. And this is he's he talks about a four three, but it's it's a four two five concept that can show variations of a four three, and he can also show a four four in it. Uh, and this is what he does. The thing about Charles Kelly is Charles Kelly ran a defense that he was told to run, as opposed to what he actually was comfortable with. Harlan Barnett has been in Michigan State, and they damn near invented this defense um, back when Saban was there. So like, and they legitimately ran the same defense for decades, and they're consistently top ten. Um, and he, it was top five when he was there. So you think you would think you have a better tactician, and where you really saw this defense struggle was in third and long, what we call third and Charles Kelly, and impossible situations to get first downs. Like you're just like you just know the punt team, the punt return team is getting ready, and they convert third and twenty. And you just have no idea. Like, I think you won't see that. I think the athlete, he's going to allow athletes to be athletes. And in key positions, I think they're deep enough. But I also think the offense may help the defense. If So think about it. So you put in pressure in the no-huddle offense. You put up points. So let's say, like, it's actually what Louisville did to FSU in that shellacking that we had. You they put up like when Tavares McFadden missed the interception that should have been a pick six and they went up 21 seven. It puts the offense in a situation where now you have to score. So you have to press. And then when you have a good defense, that defense just sets up, puts pressure and makes your quarterback throw the difficult throw, which could lead to turnovers, which in turn leads to your offense getting back on the field and your offense scoring and the defense consistently putting the offense in bad situations. So. It's a – everything has to go together. Um, it's a lot of moving parts. But I think the defense is probably in a better position than the offense at this point. James, I want to talk about kind of the general vibe of the team. Um, working under Willie Taggart, who I know is a big motivation guy. I mean, he's probably a little more connected with the players than Jimbo was. I, I will say that. One of the things I thought that – became fairly clear through the season last year was that it, it felt at times like the players were quitting on Jimbo a little bit. You know, they didn't, it didn't seem like they really liked playing for him. They, you know, they, and I think that that really showed itself in the bowl game where after Jimbo had left and already, you know, agreed to join on at AM, the way that the team just carried themselves on the sidelines, on the field, everything was just night and day from what you'd been seeing for a couple of months um, it, it felt like the whole season was just a real struggle for the team to get motivated and, and be excited to play for Jimbo. Whereas 
once he's gone, it's like the whole thing, like a, a switch was flipped. Um, and Willie Taggart being the guy that he is, you know, he's, he's again going to engage and excite the team and the fan base. Are you sensing a different vibe around this team? And does that at all play into your expectation of what this season will look like for the Seminoles? Much different vibe from this team. Um, much more family atmosphere. Um, Jimbo was very much so about, all right, um, Jimbo, to use a way to describe it, think Nick Saban 2009. So, like, everybody sees Nick, Nick Saban has adapted. He just doesn't look like it. But Nick Saban has changed. And just imagine seeing somebody who was up under him and they're the same person that he was damn near a decade ago. And it just doesn't fly. Um, and Nick Saban had the clout to do that. So Jimbo had, and then also just to give Jimbo a way out, Jimbo had a lot going on. So first and foremost, Jimbo wanting everything to be about Jimbo and wanting it to be his way, his way, led to maybe not getting the best coaches to come in. And I say that to look at how long, like Tack got some, some heat for not filling out his staff as fast but he still filled his staff out faster than Jimbo at Texas A&M, who had an unlimited budget. He had to pay $2.5 million to a, a defensive coordinator who actually had a worse overall team ranking than his past defensive coordinator. So my man from Notre Dame was worse ranked than Charles Kelly. So I wrote an article on Gridiron Now saying that if Jimbo stayed, which at the time I had heard the rumors, but I did not believe that somebody was going to pay $75 million guaranteed to Jimbo Fisher. But the things that I was hearing were the changes he was going to make in the staff. And what came to fruition is the only people that he was, that were going to be on the same staff are the ones that are at Texas A&M minus Odell because he couldn't get Odell. But it was the staff that he had was subpar. And because of who he is and the way he dictates um, coaches. So the wide receiver core, which I'm critical of, it makes Dossie look bad, but Lawrence Dossie might not be as bad of a wide receiver coach. He just had to implement what Jimbo told him to implement. So now moving forward, you see Taggart goes and finds guys who are maybe smarter than him. So I always have a saying when I remember, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I need to change rooms. Now, as a CEO and a guy who does this, I want people who are smarter than me that know how to operate independently, and it's just my job to control it. So what Taggart did on defense, just look at the defense. You have Harlan Barnett, obviously been a coordinator for years, um, put a tremendous amount of people in the, um, in the league. You've got Odell, who now has head coaching experience and, and has been a part of game planning. You've got Mark Snyder, who's been a head coach and a defensive coordinator at multiple stops. You've got um, uh, Woody, um, Woody um, who's an ace recruiter, but he's been a defensive coordinator. So, I mean, when you look at it, and I'm not going to, you know, talk about Lonzo. Lonzo is going to learn, but Lonzo Hampton probably is a weak link on that. But when you look at this staff, you got coordinators and head coach experience. Like, that's great. when you. And then they bring in Mickey Andrews to just, oh, just as a set of eyes. You've got so many people who can help you see things that you wouldn't be able to see as just a coordinator. Now, let's look at what Charles Kelly had. Charles Kelly had himself, who was a new coordinator in of himself, and a whole bunch of people who had never been coordinators. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, you bring Walt Bell to help you game plan. 
which is what Jimbo never had as an offensive coordinator. You're going to let him coach. And then you've got some guys who have experience um, developing things and developing strategies. So that's the biggest difference. Like the guys feel like, and then those guys in turn do the same thing. So when you feel you are given some rules, I mean, you're given some, like you're given a job and that guy's going to let you do your job to the best of your ability. And as long as you do your job, he does not give a damn. As long as you're doing your job, that gives you and that empowers you. And that's just not what Jimbo was. And that permeates down to the players. They feel like as long as I do my job, I'm going to play. And something that sold me on Taggart was, I don't know if you guys have ever, he said it at Florida State too, but if you go look at what he said to the Oregon players, and I, I'm going to try to do my Taggart impression, but it's just his voice is so smooth. It's just like, he's like, hey, guys, I'm going to come here. And um, it's your job to get coached up. And you're going to go out there and you're going to compete. It's your job to make sure you compete and keep your job. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to go out here, I'm going to recruit some guys, and it's, I'm going to recruit some guys to come take your job. Now, if you're coming out there and every day you're going to compete to keep your job, and every day I come out here and I bring guys in to take your job, then we're going to win a lot of football games. I heard that. I said, damn, how much eligibility do I have and can I move to Oregon? I'm <laughs> 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 to Florida State. So I'm like, well, he said the same thing at Florida State, so, and that's only fair. You don't. You only go to a top five program if you believe that they're going to compete, and you can only compete if they bring in the best week in and week out. All right, I'm sold. Mm-hmm. Sign I mean, me up. The thing is, Sign people, up. why FSU fans are excited? Like, I mean, I, it's no need for people to be upset. I hope he can coach because I don't want to write bad about him. Like, I need him to win. But like everything else he's doing, it's like, why would I be? What do I have to be upset with Taggart about? At this point, I don't have anything. As a Virginia Tech alum, I'm now even more nervous about the opener, which I, <laughs> which, which I'll, which I'll in all likelihood be in the stadium for. Um, well, cool. You got to make sure you slide through the tailgate. We got good. Yeah, well, we got tailgate going, man. There we go. I'm, I'll be at the tailgate. I'll be the only Tech fan there, but we'll make it work. I'm gonna try to get Chris and um Kyle Chung, Kyle's mom. I'm trying to get some. I'm, I tell them I'm gonna protect them. You'll be all right. All right, there we go. See, I'll be all right, Jimmy. There we go. Got the hookups. Got tailgate going. We're good. I'm ready to basketball go now. Conference, basketball conference road show. Yeah, I know, right? We'll we'll record it. We'll record it right there in the parking lot. The ball, there you go. Go. <laughs> um, okay. So so we went through earlier, like new guys on offense and defense. What's like one new name on offense? If you had to pick one guy, who ACC fans should really know about when watching Florida State, and we'll get to know pretty quickly this fall. I mean, really, like a, like a lot of them haven't played. So if you're as a freshman, it'd be Trishon. But I would say Tamron Terry is going to be a household name. Like you're going to see big plays out of him, like whether he's beating a guy deep and he's wide open or it's going to be the jump ball. But he'll be the he should be the the key we- one of the key weapons on offense. And everybody knows Kalen Laborn after this, who's my life coach. Like I use this quote as much as I can. I, I use it in business. Use it with my son. When he goes to school, um, relationship advice, whatever you want. If you see a wide ass open hole, hit that bitch. Now you can use that every possible way that you want, and it's just great. It's on t-shirts and everything. So I hope he's successful just for that quote alone. I was gonna say I'm gonna plaster that up on my wall at work. I think. Yeah, I mean it's just great. I'm like, I, when he said it, and ESPN didn't catch it. I'm like, oh great, that is. I love the fact that he said that. I hope he gets interviewed live during the season and says a bunch of other reckless stuff. <laughs> he reminds me of he's our version of beast mode 
I, I'm a huge Marshawn Lynch fan. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Who who on defense? Someone that we we haven't really heard a lot of before this season, but people are going to know that name by the end of the year. Okay. Um, I can't pronounce his name. I call him Black Isis. Um, Hamza, <laughs> Hamza Nazarene Nas. Whatever. Like it's it, it, I, again. If you're reading a, a James Coleman article or you listen to my podcast, he's, he's Black Isis. That's what I'm calling the Black Isis because he's. He's a terrorist on the football field. Like he's gonna go down and he's gonna hit. He's gonna play like that say, that star kind of ish position. Um, other than that, um, Stanford Samuels at free at the safety position, I believe is going to be a game changer. Um, he's um, he's a safety that can probably cover an athletic slot. He's also a guy that you know if you if you let him just he can run up under a deep ball, which our the defense is going to be predicated on putting pressure and making the quarterback throw the um, low percentage pass or making him make a quick decision. So I call it um, the house defense. So if you gamble, you know, like the house always wins. Um, when you're playing like roulette, like it's, you're going to like, like if you want to make the, you want to make points, you got to put something on there, but that's a low percentage chance to strike. So there's only maybe two quarterbacks that FSU plays that maybe makes you fear that. Um, consistently, and that'll be um, North Carolina State's quarterback, and probably um, Kelly Bryant or, or Trevor Lawrence, whoever ends up winning that battle. But everybody, nobody else really like. Um, I think Virginia Tech's quarterback scares me more if he's in open field on a scramble than he does in um, in the pocket. If he's in the pocket and he has to throw the ball deep, and we're putting pressure, either he's going to leave with a concussion or it's going to be a lot of interception. Jackson is a very accurate passer, but he does not have a big arm. Um, yeah, that's what, they're going to force you. They're going to take away the short, and they're going to force you to throw um, the ball in places where you have to put it. Like it's got to be on a rope in that window. And Jackson was hurt probably the the last three or four games of last year, but you could see specifically in the Miami game, like they just dared him to throw it deep, and he couldn't do it. Um, and, and that's one of the many reasons why they struggled in that football game. Um, James, let's take a look at the schedule. We've done this with all of our previews so far. It's a little bit different for Florida State, much like Miami, and we still got the Clemson preview coming up, where we do surefire wins, surefire losses, and toss-up games. With Florida State's schedule, we can get the to- we can get the uh, surefire losses out of the way pretty quickly. I don't think there are any, um, so it could be a pretty quick conversation there, unless you, you say otherwise. Losses, man! Wow, that's that's faith. I, um, you're bigger. You're better fan than me. I need to check my fandom. Do you have it? Yeah. Is there one game on the schedule that sticks out to you that you're like, Florida State ain't winning this game? No way, no how. I I just believe Clemson is a better football team than us. I, and I would say that normally, but they get that game at home. Yeah. Now again, all right. So I said I wasn't going to explain away Clemson last year, but I am. So Clemson was a close game until James Blackman threw that interception in the red zone. So it was a 14 point game. You score a touchdown there, it's a seven-point game, very winnable. Go to interception, Clemson eventually scores. You're, you're, you lose by, like, I think we lost by 21 points, which you see the, the box score, but the box score doesn't tell you the actual story if you watch the game. But I still have to look at the fact that I, there's one position, like they're just really that dominant. Like even though they didn't truly dominate us, like they didn't get like seven sacks that game, but you got four first-round grade guys. 
But that being said, it could really all depend upon what Florida State's looking like. Like if Florida State is – what game is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If Florida State's six and one or or seven and oh going in the tag game, then anything can happen. But, you know, they are coming off of a wake force, which we should dominate them. But – the stadium will be rocking for that. So it'll be like we're gonna we'll have a dope voice tailgate for that too. But it's um I just believe Kelly, I think they have a they have a they have a better situation than than we have right now. Um secure like stability and they have the athletes to match. So like if I was gonna say the the surefire, I just don't believe we're beating Clemson, and that's just me making sure that I check my homework card. Fair enough. I mean they got two basically two entire sets of starters on the defensive line <laughs> that, that could go pro right now. Um, so surefire wins. Um, I'll go through mine first. I'll let you guys chime in. Uh, I, I know this may shock you. I'm uh, going to give Florida State the Stanford game on September 8th. I think they'll uh, I think they'll win that game. I know it's going to come as a shock to a lot of you. Um, I'll give them Stanford I, on the road at Syracuse the next week. Carrier Dome's a weird place to play. It's a noon kickoff. I've seen random upsets there before. I don't think this is one of them. I think Florida State wins there pretty handily. Northern Illinois, you get that game at home. Northern Illinois, they're they're pesky, but I, I don't see them beating Florida State. So I think that's a third surefire win. Um, and you look a little bit further down the schedule. Um, I don't really see another game, really, that you could chalk up as a surefire win, maybe at Louisville on September 29th, because I believe Louisville is going to take a major step back. But again, that game's on the road. So I'd probably chalk that more up to a toss-up game than anything else. But I think if we're picking just three surefire wins, I think they're the last three games in September. I think it's Stanford, Syracuse, and Northern Illinois. Joey, what do you think? I was going to go those three, and I was also going to add October 20th at home against Wake Forest. Yeah. Um, the the only way – so you're coming off a of bye week. I think the only way is if there's some mega hangover after the loss at Miami, if that's a loss, like – that's got to be a mega hangover loss coming off a of bye week to lose at home to Wake Forest. Other than that, I, I think Florida State's got that in the bag. Or but a look-ahead right. spot. Look-ahead spot to Clemson, maybe? It could be that, too. Yeah, it's it's what they uh, what they refer to as a let-down look-ahead sandwich a little bit there. But the bye week help us, helps us soften that blow, I think. But I was going to say that, yeah, I mean, a, a couple of those games that I would say that, you know, they can't lose or something is, is games that they got on the road, and that's where I'm not – I'm not quite certain on what we're going to get out of Florida State this year, so I, I I'm not going to chalk those up as, as wins just yet. All right, we're beating the shit out of Florida. I'm going to tell you that. There you go. Get them at home. Like I'm not worried about that game. Um, we gotta we gotta win that, and we gotta win that very good. You gotta like everybody. Like, only one team can win a national championship. Let's get that out of there. And as long as Saban is at Bama, I learned my lesson. My first article I wrote. Telling Bama don't take this butt whipping personally, and like that was stupid. Don't do that. Like, <laughs> don't, don't ever go. At, don't ever go at Bama unless they unless they ask you to. But um, I, I agree with you about the Wake Forest game. Um, the Miami game is like I mean that's not a surefire thing, but we're not going. Like I said, I don't believe it'll be a hangover. I think they'll be focused on that uh, i agree with all especially syracuse i don't trust the guy who uses hair dye um for his <laughs> hairline with their coach um he should just give it up um you know a lot of good things happen sometimes when you just give up 
And then I mean, like you you really picked all the people. I don't I think Louisville is I just haven't played there. Louisville and North Carolina State are two two places that I just absolutely hated to play as a player. Now we played Louisville in a pouring down rain overtime in 2002. That was ESPN Classic, and I they made me hate a song that's actually really good. The song I think his name's Archie. We ready? But they legitimately played We Ready from kickoff until the end of it, and they beat us, and it was pouring down rain, just bad memories. And then North Carolina State going up against Phillip Rivers um, and the Mario Williams and guys like that. Um, I don't think that this team is as good. Last year's team was probably one of their better teams. Dorian's a good coach, but, I mean, those plug in, like the atmosphere, really small stadiums where the fans are right on up on top of you, and you got to get up on You got to get 14 on these guys quick. You get up 14-0 and then the crowd's out of it, then you got much to worry about. So, James, that puts us four surefire wins if we're including Wake Forest, one loss if we're calling it Clemson. So that means the other seven then become toss-ups. So that's home against Virginia Tech, at Louisville, at Miami, uh, at NC State, at Notre Dame, home against Boston College, home against Florida. All that in mind. So there's there's several teams that I think there's a lot of questions about, but I'll, I'll tell you right now that I think that Florida State might be one of the biggest, what I'll call wild cards in really the entire country this year. Like I could see them finishing anywhere between like six and 10 wins, which is like a, a really wide range. Do you, do you have a, a record prediction for your Knowles this year? I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to say the what, what Taggart has to have. And that's kind of right where I'm at. Cause I'm with you. Um, I believe we'll like, obviously I think we're going to win the first five games at the gate. I want to say that. Um, I believe we should beat Miami. Miami beat us with one of the worst teams in my lifetime at Miami. I mean, I'm at FSU, and it still took late late game heroics to do that with the coach with one foot out the door. But there's still Miami. It's a rivalry game. It's going to be crazy down there. Um, the reason why I say I don't know after that, even if we went, we were seven to zero going to Clemson. This is a tough stretch, like for people who know football. Um, it's not a tough stretch when you just look at the names for value, but if you look at the NFL talent and and like that's coming up out of these teams, this is what you would see. You got Clemson, North Carolina State, Notre Dame, Boston College. That is four difficult games, four different, very different styles of play. You've got Clemson with the um, up more uh, up tempo, not as up tempo as Taggart's offense, but up tempo and a physical defense. You've got North Carolina State with a pro style offense with a quarterback that can make all the throws. Defense is a little bit weaker, but they're going to run a defense that's going to be um, that's going to be tough to go up against. Notre Dame spread offense. You don't know what the hell you're going to get from Notre Dame. I, I wouldn't have thought Miami would have went up there and beat the – I mean, well, they came down to Miami, but I didn't think Miami would beat the tar off of them. But if you jump on Notre Dame, they sh- Brian Kelly's team show that they'll fold. Um, now, Boston College is – is Boston College is a team that doesn't belong in the ACC. Like, they are a Big Ten team. Like, I don't even understand why they're big. Like, not even like – their 240 is different than everybody else's 240. Like, I remember hitting those guys, and you're like, man, they are like – solid they don't move so you got that's what you got but 
I circled the Boston College game because not just because they beat the brakes off of us last year, but people don't know it. This is the team in the ACC with the most draft graded players. So, in a sense, this is the best. This is the most talented team in the ACC. Their only weakness is Steve Adazio. Like, if they had anybody else, this would be a really good team. So, like, you don't know. Like, this could be the best team to win four games in the history of the NCAA. Or they could actually come out and win their second um, ACC um, divisional division title. Now, the only thing that I think gives us a chance against Clemson, Clemson struggles against up-tempo. It's weird. They play an up-tempo offense, but they struggle against teams that press. So, like, when you look at the losses, like when they lost to Syracuse, they lost to Pitt when they had Nate Peterman, it's really the teams just legitimately went at Clemson's defense, and their defense didn't know how to didn't know how to handle it. Either they overlooked that team and didn't game plan properly, or they just got out, man. What do you got, Joey? What do you got? But my bet, nine wins. Nine wins is what I'm saying. I think I'm with you, James. I'm I'm thinking nine and three here. I'm I'm kind of chalking up losses to probably the. Th- I mean, I'll just call it the three toughest teams on the schedule: Miami, Clemson, and Notre Dame. Um, it, it sucks having that Notre Dame game on the road. Uh, the I will say that I would not be shocked at all if Florida State finished nine and three, but had one or two wins against those three teams, and, and then just. You know, there's a loss of focus or, or you know, just something weird happens in, in one of these other games. Um, I was looking, too, at this. I, I didn't even really recognize until just a minute ago the absolute, like, physicality of the last five games of the schedule. This team is going to be beaten down by the end of November. Clemson at NC State at Notre Dame, Boston College, and Florida all in a row. Those are five physical football teams. Um, that, that's going to be uh, there. There are going to be some sore guys <laughs> coming uh, coming off of Thanksgiving. So I, I think that makes for a very interesting stretch as well. Uh, so I'm going to go nine and three here. I, I, I feel pretty good about them. I, I think that the talent is there and they're motivated. So I, I think this is a pretty good bounce back year for the Knolls in year one under Willie Taggart. Mike, where are you at here? God, I feel like I need to choose something different than nine <laughs> and three. Because that's exactly where I'm at too. Um, I could see, I could see ten and two. Um, I certainly could, mostly because some of the tough games we're talking about here, um, specifically Notre Dame and Boston College. Like I think Boston College is going to be very good as well. Um, obviously, when you have a running back that's six two, two thirty, and runs like a freaking deer, um, it, it's very difficult to. Uh, to see them not being very good. But then again, their offensive coordinator is Scott Leffler. And James, as you know, I'm a Virginia Tech alum. Joey and I talk about this at length. Scott Leffler used to be the offensive coordinator under Frank Beamer and used to absolutely infuriate me on a game-to-game basis because he'd throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball without a ton of skill position players on the outside who could win one-on-one battles. He's got a running back at A.J. Dillon now at Boston College who's absolutely dynamic, best running back in the ACC. It's just a matter of him giving him enough carries. So that'll be the real question. Um, I I think Boston College is going to be very good. I think the fact Florida State gets that game at home is really helpful. I'm going to go with 9-3 and at the end of the day, though, um, because I think Miami's going to be very good. Um, I I think Clemson, obviously, is Clemson. Uh, They're they're a college football playoff team, in my opinion. And then at Notre Dame, um, 
I think Notre Dame's going to be good. I don't know how good. Uh, I think there's a chance they could compete for a college football playoff spot again, or I think there's a chance they could be like eight and four and just be like a fringe top 25 team all year long. It's really comes down to what they get out of quarterback. At the end of the day, there are a lot of tough games on the schedule. There are some weird quirks. I'll go with nine and three. Um, it's year one under Willie Taggart. I think it's a very, very good bounce back here, uh, considering the fact that there are a lot of new guys who are going to be contributing on both sides of the football for Florida State and a brand new coaching staff. At the very least, they're going to be motivated and extremely fun to watch. So I'll go with nine and three um, and, and an exciting football team, a top 25 team, obviously, all year long. Dear God, if they go, if they win nine or 10 games, people thought recruiting was weird. Now I, it's going to be. You'll see, I guess, from things that I've seen and heard, like, like you can see them compete for the – I'm not saying they're going to win the, get the number one class, but they're not as far off as what people think. There are, like, six top prospects that they're really in, like, like, three of them that people think are sure bets. The other three will flip if they put an exciting brand of football on the field. And – there's a couple of positions where they only have to go after that target. So like they've got everybody else in sure. Like, so they can put full court press and 10 wins. And it's going to like Tallahassee is really fun anyway, when the football team is good. Um, having been born and raised there, FAMU, if the, the black college, if they're good um, and, and FSU is good, the city's going to be crazy. So a recruiting visit in Tallahassee, will be like second to none. Like like there's no other atmosphere experience that anybody can give them for the extracurricular things that you can do. Uh, I.e., um, we call it talent or women will be <laughs> will be around. Yeah. But just the other things is that just what Taggart and company do to make the event fun for everybody, including like like your your mom and dad, your baby sister, like everybody has something to do which is different from when I went on my recruiting visits, they didn't give a damn. My mom was in a hotel room and I'll see you on Sunday. (laughs) But like like, the way they do it, you still have that, but like your mom and dad are playing cards with the coaches wives. Your sister is playing with their coaches kids. So it's kind of like that family vibe. So if they can get that quick and and get the boys bought in, I mean, it should be fun. Um, You know, I don't know if you follow Big Three Twitter. If, if nothing else, the jokes will be fun. <laughs> if you follow FSU Miami and Florida fans. There you go. James, last question. Vegas has Florida State's win total at seven and a half. You feel real good about them going over that? Oh, I'm about it. That's what it is? Who is that? Bo- Bo- Bovada? I saw that on Odd Shark. I think it was from Bovada. I, I might have to fly to Vegas. Go put, put 10000 on it. Yeah, I gotta get in on that. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. What's my return? Like, what's the, what's the, like, what's the, like, this seven and a half? They're getting, they're, they're gonna win eight games. Like I told you, like FSU was not, if they were a six-loss team, that you cannot deny the statistics, but they weren't six losses. Like there was only three legit losses that you could just look in and say that FSU probably didn't have a chance to win that game. The other three, they had that now. You know, you could look at maybe three of the wins and say that if some something didn't happen, like the, some of the games were closer than what they should have been. But a lot of that has to do when you're in a turmoil and, you know, you have something like a head coaching situation. They got, you got to think this is our first head coaching search that we've ever had. 
Jimbo was head coach in waiting, and though he ousted the old man in a manner in which people didn't appreciate, it just was a transition. This is this has been different, and it's been fun, and we shall the we shall see when um the toe meets leather. To answer your question, it was minus one ninety in Vegas. So if you bet ten thousand, you're barely getting a little over five thousand back. So buyer beware. That ain't bad. Like there's I, I, this better things I can put my money. See that lets me know that Vegas don't believe that. Like Vegas, like if Vegas believe that, like it'd be like I'm getting two to one on my money. Like they know that. Yes, this is what we're gonna put out, but there probably is a better chance that FSU will be an eight or nine win team. Well, there you have it. Eight or nine wins for Florida State. James, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. You've given a lot of really great insights on Florida State this fall. Uh, you want to tell the readers where they can find your stuff? Yeah, um, the easiest way to find anything of what I'm doing is go to at BigGameJames36 um, on Twitter. Um, that way you'll see um, my my rants and musings on all things, whether it be NFL-related, college, or just random things in life. Um, my articles are there. Typically, I write an article a day about FSU or something in the ACC or college football. Like I wrote about Urban Meyer's um, deal, but typically I keep it in ACC because I think we have an amazing conference that gets overlooked um, because of, you know, of hype. But I write for GridironNow.com. Um, I've got uh, two podcasts, um, Sports um, Straight Talk No Chaser. And I have the Doke Boys. So if you want to learn, at, and both of them, I'm at Doke Boy, D-O-K-B-O-Y-Z is on Twitter too. You can find all of that in my in my um, profile, excuse me, my profile information. But if you want to learn like insight like this with some history tied to it from two former players, um, you know, you might want to follow that. Probably shouldn't play it around your kids, but it depends. If you're Mickey Andrews' kids or if you're a coach's kid and you'll be okay but it's definitely fun like again that's what we're trying to what we try to do with the sports den group that i'm with is try to present media sports media in a fun light it could be informative but it can also be like we're just hanging out and having a good time that's awesome definitely go check that out everything florida state uh again he's at big game james 36 on twitter james has been awesome thank you for joining us you're welcome back anytime no problem, man. Anytime, just hit me up. I'm very approachable. Unlike I don't unlike what people think. <laughs> All right, Mike. We got to get out of here. We got more teams. We got a preview. But in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also find him again at Big Game James three six on Twitter. Y'all can uh, send us an email to the longest email address known to man: basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yeah, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold. And Mike, tell them where they can find us on the social medias. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Also, go on our Twitter page. That's at BC Podcast ACC, like Joey just mentioned. Drop us a rating and a review on iTunes. I posted the link again today. I don't know when you guys will listen to this, but it's up there. It's pinned to our profile. Make sure to drop us a rating and a review. Hell yeah. Please do that. Much appreciated to those who have. And as Mike mentioned the other day, for those who haven't, what are you waiting for? Uh, Mike, they can also find us on YouTube if they so choose. Uh, they can see the the sweet uh, FSU Knowles shirt that uh, the James is wearing. Check that out. 
Uh, you can find, you know, my obscene pit stains. It's it's going okay. You know, whatever. If you want to watch that, that's your choice. Uh, but it's there. It's on YouTube. Just search for basketball conference. Uh, Mike, anything else before we get out of here? Think we're good, man. We're gonna preview some more teams, so we'll be back soon. But uh, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. James Coleman, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Yeah.